three, am I on? Can you hear me? Can't hear me? Huh? Talk louder. Hey, when we were singing that song, You Are My King, um, I just kind of got, is he your king? Have you made him your king? I mean, he is the king anyway, isn't he? But um, he's, he's only king to you if you make him your king. Amen? Like Queen Elizabeth is only the queen if, if you come under her sovereignty, you know. It's just like God. I just thought the implications of that it's just amazing when you think of it. If he's your king, then he's your moral, the king of your moral universe. You no longer are. <laughs> you no longer are your own king. You've made him your king. Therefore, he's your king, not you. And the implications of that is just staggering if you want to think about it for more than five minutes. Just thought I'd put that in. Just take it home with you today and... I just remember that we sang, you are my king, you are my king, you are my king, Jesus, you are my king, about 15 times. And it kind of means something, words mean things. You know, they're not just air blowing through your vocal cords. Um, I just want to look at a couple of things today to do with the word of God. Who thinks that this is true? Not this green thing here, but what's written in it. And what do I mean by true? I mean that uh, all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God. So if it's in here, that means God breathed it. He didn't, he didn't say to somebody, now I want to sit you down with a pen in your hand and I'll dictate while you write. But he inspired the people to write what they wrote from their heart. So he put his words in their heart and they wrote what he wanted them to write. And he approved it because he says he set his word in heaven forever. And so he's gone, okay, this is what my word is forever. I've set it in heaven and now it can't be changed, it can't be, you can't do anything with it. You can just, just, it says what it says, and it's true down to the last word. He's chosen the words he wanted to use, in other words. He didn't go, oh, I'll use this, but I really mean something else. You know, he, he chose the words he wanted to choose, and that was it. Um, I want to look at two, two areas this morning what the Word of God means to those who are not born again and what the Word of God means to us who are born again. Um, if you're not born again, if you haven't uh, had an experience with Jesus Christ in that you, uh, you know that you are born again, that you have the Holy Spirit living in you, come and see me after the service and we'll direct you to the right path in that area. But I want to talk about um, what the Bible talks about 
talks, says to people who uh, are not saved yet and what it says to us. So, the Bible is God's love letter from heaven to us. When we're born into this world, it's like um, we, we awake from a deep sleep. We don't know anything. And as we grow, the things that are put into us from outside is what we become. And the things that our parents instill in us, um, the things we hear from around us, the things teachers teach us, the what we see and experience will make up who we are. But uh, God says there's also a revelation of himself that he gives to us as we look around, we can see the world and we can see the, the beauty that is in the world and we know that there is at least some sort of mind out there that made it all and we can either suppress that or we can go, oh well, that's this person who made this world, this earth, must be beautiful because look at the flowers, you know, and look at the trees and um, he mustn't be an angry person, he must be a lovely person because look at the, look what he's given me, you know, look what he's supplied me, he's, I always have something to eat, I always, I can breathe freely the beautiful clean air and you know, all that sort of stuff, so... Um, from nature we get God's reality shown to us. His, the Word of God says His invisible attributes are clearly seen by what He has made. So we are without excuse if we think we can get away with uh, not believing that there is a God. Um, we're wrong. We can't, we'll never... We never get away with it because God has revealed those things. And if the evolutionist said, well, it just all came into being, you just say to him, I'm not an idiot. Okay? <laughs> Nothing can come into being without something making it. My, my, this, this Bible just didn't appear from a whole heap of dictionaries thrown together or something, you know? Um, yeah, so... God has shown us that there is a God or a, even a mind or a, uh, a spirit out there that has made this physical world. And therefore, the spiritual world must have come before the physical world. Therefore, the spiritual world must be eternal because the physical world has a beginning and an end and it, it, the physical world has not been here forever. The physical world was made one day by God and it will stop being one day if God decides that's what he wants. Um, now, the first, the first chapter of Romans talks about a little bit of what I said, but it goes on to talk about the people who suppress the truth of God, those who, people who know that there is a God, because, I mean, he's even put himself the knowledge of himself within us to be another witness for his being and um, people suppress that 
It's not that they don't believe it, it's that they suppress it. Because you can talk to somebody about God sometimes and they'll just, they'll just uh, refuse to believe any evidence that there is a God. And um, because they have other agenda that they are looking for. They want nobody to be the king of their life. They want to be the king of their own life. And that's usually the agenda that they have. They don't want anybody to have to explain themselves to. They just want to be their own boss. And that's it. Um, as far as we are concerned as people of God it's very easy for us to fall into the false assumption that that uh, everyone should have the same uh, measure of understanding that we do about God that everybody out there uh, should understand God like we do. It's very easy for us to live in a bubble as Christians because we have Christian friends, we have, Christian, we have church on Sunday, we um, have meetings through the week and we kind of live in this Christian bubble and we, we don't realise that other people out there really don't know God the same way we do. And when I was a kid back in the 60s, um, I went to Mass every week and was taught, taught about God and His existence and we, we should worship Him and all that sort of stuff. But the boy next door, who was my friend, he um, was a... His parents were Presbyterians by name, but they never went to church. But they used to send him along to Sunday school. And uh, that happened a lot for a lot of people in the 60s and and before that, you know, in the 70s, maybe, um, that even, that, that if you didn't believe, you, you, like you came up through Sunday school yourself, you got married, settled down, then you had kids, so you sent them along to Sunday school, because you wanted them to grow up with a decent sort of uh, moral life, you know, you wanted them to be good people. And you thought, well, church, church, hanging around church people, pastors and teachers, will make them at least understand what good is and what evil is and that. But uh, <clears throat> my children now have children themselves who were my age in the 60s and that's no longer true. Um, kids don't all get sent to Sunday school anymore. And so there's, a, there's generations growing up in our society that have no idea who God is, who Jesus is, or anything to do with religion or spirituality or anything like that. I mean, the good spirituality, a lot of them know about the bad stuff, but... Um, so there's this uh, real void in society coming up. And um, I saw a video clip the other day where this woman, probably in her late 40s or 50s, she looked like she was some sort of a congresswoman, and but she was sitting on a committee like... Um, sitting amongst the group of people and they were asking questions and it was something to do with faith. I didn't quite get the whole story but she was asked why you don't believe in the gospel, you know. And she said, um, what I said before, she said, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> she said, faith is believing something, that there, uh, something for which there is no evidence. 
and I can't do that because I'm not an idiot. That was her words. And I thought to myself, um, that's not the faith that I know. Because the faith that I know has plenty of evidence for it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be one. I'd be on your side if there was no evidence for it, you know. So there's, our faith is, uh, has, has evidence to back it up. And um, if you don't believe that, come and see me afterwards. <laughs> but the, you wouldn't believe how many people use this as an excuse to just not give faith a second thought. Um, it's a very common way for people to talk about faith today. It's, um, you don't expect me to believe something that there's no, there's no evidence for. In other words, um, blind faith. We have blind faith in a, in a God that doesn't exist. And nothing could be further from the truth. Um, there's a lot of ignorance out there. A lot of ignorance out there in the world. It's amazing how much um, people... Well, ignorance about God. Like, there's this lady that I know at work. She, I've... Um, I've not been, I've not hidden my faith from her in all the time that I've known, all the time that I've known her at work. And she um, had a stroke at the beginning of last, this year. And uh, when I saw her after she got out of hospital, she said to me, oh, Steve-O, she said, I said, so many Hail Marys and Our Fathers you would have been so proud of me. <laughs> and I can understand that she was scared and she went back to what she, she knew and um, she prayed and said, Amen, uh, Hail Mary's and our fathers, thinking that that was going to be something that God heard and, and, and God, of course, heard her heart. But um, yeah, so uh, there's a lot of ignorance, a lot of... Um, a lot of stuff that people don't really understand about our, our faith, about who we are. And, um, like I said, it causes a void of reason within the community. It really does. It makes people think stupid things. And this, uh, this whole Black Lives Matter business, I was really angry when I saw that they had a protest in Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane, I think. But um, the one in Melbourne especially, um, they got together as this group and had a protest. And I thought to myself, well, every life matters, not just black lives, you know. But it turns out what they meant was black lives matter. You think you matter, you're the only ones that matter, but black lives matter. So I thought, well, that's okay, you know. But anyway, um, it's really, it really has a real agenda behind it that's not good. It's got a satanic agenda behind it and, um, you know, to do with cultural Marxism and stuff you really need to keep away from. But because of it, people are starting to fall into the, the, um, the, the idealism behind it, even though they don't want to. I saw this clip on TV, it was called, it was from a program called, um, 
Cancelling the cancel culture. Did anyone see that? Cancelling the cancel culture. It was like a news presentation. There's a culture called the cancel culture. And it cancels out people who say the wrong things. Like people in high places. It just... It just... It causes... it go, like it, For instance, if somebody says something wrong in... Um, say they're a... Um, online presenter, uh, then they'll get heaps of people commenting about how bad they are. Or if somebody's in uh, sales or something, people will write in and, and to somebody and say, look, this person said this or that the other, um, we're not going to uh, buy, their, buy their goods anymore, you know. And they make it they make it public and people just think, oh, well, these people must have done something wrong so I won't go there anymore. It's like they cancel you out because you say the wrong things. Saying the wrong things these days is very, is one of the big things. It's, you, you can't say the wrong thing. Speech has lost its freedom. And uh, this person in that program with the microphone and the camera walked up to this lady who was coming out of a hospital. She was a nurse, I believe. And he said to her, excuse me, and she turned around, he said, um, just, I, I just want some solidarity from you in this Black Lives Matter business. She was a white lady. And they said, um, would you please kneel down and apologise for being white? Would you please kneel down and apologise for your white privileged status? She turned around, got down on her knees, would you believe, started to apologise and said, well, I don't really know what to say, what am I going to say? She was put on the spot and, and this man he just kept saying, you know, just apologise, say you're sorry, you know. He wanted her to say it into the, into the camera. And I thought, man, what's the world coming to? The kneeling part of it is very much a part of what it is. Um, even at some football matches and that you've probably seen, where they, uh, they, they're pushing the Black Lives Matter thing. Um, the, some people, like the players, will get down on their knees, they'll wear armbands, they'll get down on their knees, and yet some people will st keep standing. And in America, um, they had a uh, football match, a big football match, and... These two Christian guys stood while the rest kneeled because they said, we, know, we kneel to nobody but Jesus Christ. And, um, and that started a, a cancelling out of their, their whole existence. Because you know, people started saying things against, bad against them because of what they, they didn't want to do. That. And look at Israel Folau, what happened to him. Just because he said something, you know... This, this is where the world's going to, and it's, it's like there's a void of, of, of what is right and what is good. And we all know that um, good things are bad now and bad things are good. Um, you know, we've, um, we've allowed the government to bring in things to, to elevate sin and to put, push down righteousness. So all these things are happening in the world. And we as Christians have got to do something about it. Amen? We have the truth. Every last one of us has the truth. 
in us. The truth. The truth. Not a truth. The truth. Just imagine that for a minute. You have within you the truth. Jesus Christ lives within you. And out there, there's a, there's a world that is headlong into hell. And I'm not saying that to be in any way judgmental, because I, myself, am talking to myself. <laughs> um, I want to go to 2 Corinthians 5.14. And I, I love this scripture because it talks to us about being reconciled to God. And I just want to go through it a little bit, just to sort of bring it back to us. Um, to, right to the end of the chapter, probably. For the love of Christ compels us. Paul's saying, you accuse me of being crazy because I do crazy things. It seems like I'm a nut. You know, I was once a Pharisee, now I'm this crazy Christian that can't do anything but just keep talking about Jesus and trying to get you to understand who he is. And, and um, sometimes I've been out in the ocean and I've floated around for three days and uh, I've been stoned by people stoning me and everything. And, and you might think that I, you know, I keep coming back after those things and still saying the same thing. And you might think I've gone out of my head. But... Um, the love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ for the whole world compels me. And he says, um, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. It's like if you were, if you were on death row, and I was, uh, if this was possible, it's not possible, of course, but if you're in death row and I went to the judge and said, look, I want to die for this man because I love him. And the judge says, right, you can die in his place. Um, so they put me to death and this man gets released. Um, he actually died, if you understand. I died in his place, which means he actually died, which means the sentence that was upon him went on me. I died. So really, in standing, he died as well. And then he was raised up again, and then he can go and live his life the way he wants to, because he's free, because somebody else took his place. So Christ, when Christ died, we all died, because he died for us. All right? We all died. Um, which means that, to me, everybody's on an equal footing. Everybody in the whole world, black, white, red, yellow, doesn't matter what colour, doesn't matter what status, doesn't matter who they are, God has, can have mercy on every one of us because he's, as the, as the last Adam, he took, himself, took to himself all the human race and went into the grave and died. So then it says, um, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. 
Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. So, now that I'm alive in Christ, and I know that my neighbour has had everything done for him possible so that he can come into the kingdom, I, can, I don't have to look at him in any particular way except as, as God sees him, in the, as a spiritual person that is loved by God because God, Jesus died for him. I can't, doesn't matter if he's a Muslim, doesn't matter if he's a whatever, a murderer, doesn't matter. If he's breathing air, he's fair game. If he's breathing air, he's loved by God and it is my compulsion from Christ because he loves me to tell him the truth about the gospel. And it says, um, and he died for all, that those who live should have lived no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him not, thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of, are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of bringing people back to God, of showing people that they can actually come back and have a relationship with, with the Father. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What he's done for us is just immense. Immense. Sin no longer has any dominion over us because we're not under law, but under grace. Because when he went to the cross, he took, he died to the law, which means we died with him, in him, to the law as well. Therefore, the law no longer can say to us, thou shalt not, because it's no longer there for us. We're no longer under it. So what compels us now? It's the love of Christ. Remember, it says that he would give us a new heart, which would know the law inwardly. We wouldn't need any outward law. And um, so God has done that for all of us. And we have this ministry of reconciliation for the world. Whatever we do from now on is directed towards the reconciling of the world. It's not a matter of... Uh, we give Jesus 50% of our lives. Christ is everything. He's 100% of our lives. When we breathe, it's Christ. When we eat, it's Christ. When we live, it's Christ. When we die, it's Christ. When we work, when we play, it's Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us. It's all Jesus Christ. Um, now, just uh, 
I want to now talk about um, the Word of God and what it's what we use it for for ourselves, how it applies to us. I want to bring Kay Lane up to us to talk to. Um, Kay, come up and. guy's got the mic. We're just going to have a little conversation about the Word of God. Okay, that's yours. Okay, so um, I went out to CK a week ago or so and we just had a little bit of a time together and um, I just wanted to ask her what is the Bible to you? What is the Word of God to you? How long have I got? <laughs> I'll take the mic off you and I'll <laughs> thank you. Eddie. Oh well, um, I've always for years considered myself to be a Christian but um, and I went to a church and and as far as I was concerned, I was in the right church and we were saved. But there were a lot of people who weren't. Um, but when I really met God, I found out just how free that that really made me. And as far as the Bible was concerned, I'd always seen that as a book of um, a bit of God with a lot of judgment, a lot of condemnation. And I saw him like that, which was rather like my father. And I think that a lot of us do have that hurdle to overcome when we first get saved because God is not like our earthly father at all. And um, so I'd avoided reading the Bible. But um, when I started to have this relationship with God um, and I got saved properly, um, I went home and I heard God say to me that he, he wanted me to get myself an easy-to-understand Bible, so I did. I got the, um, the, living, the living Word. And um, as I read it, um, I found out who I was. He led me to Ephesians and I found out how he saw me as his daughter. And um, he, he wanted to be my father. And, um, and, and I, I just um, thought that was wonderful. And then I thought that I had read in Ephesians that um, he wanted to adopt me. But you know what? I went just recently and I searched all through that and I couldn't find it. And I found it in Galatians that he'd adopted us as his children. I found that. But, but when, and when I looked for the words that I'd heard from God they weren't actually written in the book and I realized that what God had actually said to me was by the Holy Spirit that he'd actually told me he wanted to adopt me and be my father to to, to be the father to me that I'd never really had he wanted to um, um, educate me clothe me love me care for me protect me provide for me all of those things, they're not there. 
They're not in the Bible, but they're in here because I've heard him say them to me. And I was very, very surprised when I picked up the Bible and I found they weren't there. <laughs> but you know what? He has done that. He, he, he said to me at the end of that, if you will have me. And I just cried for three days. <laughs> and uh, I've never regretted it. And he's never let me down, ever, ever. Um, so, so there was that. Then I thought, oh, do I really want to read the rest of this Bible? Um, I don't want to go back into that Old Testament with that judgmental God and all of these things and have them come down on my head again and accuse me and blah, blah, blah. But as I read it, I didn't see him there. What I saw was a wonderful, kind, heavenly father who tried so desperately to help his children do things the right way so they could live in peace, so they could be free, not loading them down with everything that I'd seen it before, so that they could be free and love one another and um, that's, so that's what I found in the Old Testament and I read it and read it and then God started coming to me and reading and talking to me through the Bible. I think the Bible is everything. It is his letter to you. It is his means of communication. I think it's important that you get into that word and you read it and you read it and you read it because you've got a whole lot of stuff in you that you have um, learned and accepted received and accepted and it's not true you've got basic beliefs in there that god needs to help mm. you with so and you it's his love letter so yeah. you use the bible every day I don't do. you oh for sure yes. and why do you use it every day do you feel that why god is speaking you yes you i do that? i do yes i do I, I do feel that that is the way that god communicates to us through his word all the time like i said you know those words that I went looking for weren't there. They were words that he'd actually communicated to me through his word, but, you know, extra. Mm. Mm. Yep. Okay. So um, what would you say to people who just say, look, you know, it's just a book or, you know, it's just a bunch mm. of words mm. together? Mm. No, I don't believe that. I believe that it is a spiritual letter to every one of us personally, personally. Mm. It is the communication between God and you, heart to heart, mm. face to face. Mm. Amen. Thanks, Kay. That's good. Thank you very much. So, it says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to divide asunder soul and spirit joints and marrow and um, what's the rest of it thank you is it a center of the thoughts and intents of the heart so the word of God is alive it's not a dead word it's not something that just uh, you read and um, you need to read it with the Holy Ghost sitting beside you and say Lord show me show me what you want me to, to do and um, late last year, uh, Tim asked us to put our names down on one of the whiteboards there under the headings of the fivefold ministry in the church, uh, which are, of course, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Um, so I love. Uh, probably not necessarily speaking, but in a lot of ways, 
teaching the Word. I love learning the Word. I love learning what other people have said about the Word and what other people say about doctrinal things. And I love to communicate those things to others. And um, I put my name down as teacher. And the, the whole premise was that we, we make teams of people under these headings that will then do what they do under that heading to uh, lift up and build up the church, like it says in Ephesians. And I thought, well, I'd like to be teaching in some way uh, the Word of God. And a few other people put their names down as well under the heading of teaching and, and other people put their names down under other headings. So um, then the COVID thing came and um, I did send out a, a message saying I'd like to get together with those people that had put their names down as a teacher. But this COVID thing then came and decided and, and that was sort of that. We couldn't sort of get together. But um, I know T Tim still has a vision for creating teams of people who are interested in those areas. Do you remember that when he did that? That you named everyone's names on the board? People put their names on the board under those headings. And um, I would like to start something with, this, with teaching. And one of the ways we can teach is through the written word. And what, what, what I, I see the vision is, is that if, if there's a group of people who are interested in a particular uh, ministry, they get together and they build each other up in the way that, in, in the actual ministry that they're interested in. Say, say it's teaching, right? We get together as a team and we devise a plan for, say, uh, adding to the ability of this church to disciple new believers. So, someone comes into the church, we don't want them to sit down and just, um, just fester in the church. We want them to be, we want them to have a foundation based on truth and based on the Word, where they can begin their lives in Christ with a good foundation, a good solid foundation. So, teaching is an area of the ministry that can help people do that. And so, if, if there was a group of people who would enjoy teaching, then we could put sort of something together like um, little booklets or pamphlets, which would be available to, to anyone, but particularly those who want to uh, be discipled um, and who want to know more about the, the fundamentals of Christ and even the beyond the fundamentals, even bigger, deeper issues of Christ. And those people would get together and they would, um, they would contribute to the Ministry of Reconciliation by doing that. And, um, and other areas like evangelists would get together and they would work out, uh, they would pray together, they'd say, okay, let's, let's um, go and preach the gospel here or there or whatever. It's pretty much what, what Josh is doing at the moment. Um, but there are other areas as well. Prophecy is another big one. Uh, to get together a group of people who want to be 
walk in the prophetic. And um, so my sort of part in this is to uh, get a group of people together who are really interested in teaching and to develop the ministry of teaching. Some people might, you might be a person in this, in this church who can get up here and can absolutely um, speak in such a way that people really understand what you're saying and you might be someone who can dig into the scriptures and find real hidden um, gems of, of wisdom from God and, uh, and just be willing just to get up and just to, um, to teach in front of people, whether it be down at the New Hub on a Wednesday night or sometimes even on the, in the pulpit here, I don't know. Uh, there might be other people who are interested in putting, putting their, their thoughts on paper and to, um, to make up some sort of a booklet that will teach people things about Christ. There's a lot of areas that you can... That, you, that, that are available in these ministries. And um, it has to be done because we love Jesus Christ and because we want to see his ministry, which is his ministry. The ministry of reconciliation is his ministry. We're only co-workers with him. And uh, we want to see his kingdom flourish because he's our king. He is our king. We are no longer our, king, our own king. He is our king. And so we want our king to be the king of everybody. We want everybody's hearts to be towards him. And that's got to be the whole reason that we do whatever we do in Christ, is to glorify God and to bring Jesus Christ out to the forefront and to make him to be the one that is um, bowed down and worshipped because he is God. So if you feel like you've got a desire to teach in any way, like I've just said a couple of things. Um, there's a million other things that you can do in, in, to teach people. It could even be standing out on the footpath and, um, and saying to people, look, this is who Jesus is, you know, or whatever, I don't know. There's a lot of other ways. But if you've got a heart for it, or any of those fivefold ministries... Or I think even Bruce put on their um, healing ministry. You know, like healing's another area, you know. It probably comes under evangelism or a, a lot of other areas, but, but a lot of people want to know about healing. Um, to actually teach about healing would be something that we could do as well as, as teachers. There's many areas you can teach in. Like there's, there's, um, there's healing, there's... Um, the gospel is, um, you know, all those different things. So if you're interested in any of these things, um, come and see me after the service and um, I'll take your name and we'll go from there. But we want to start building teams because we're not just here to come to church. We're here to be ministers of reconciliation and to be involved with each other in building up the body of Christ. So, um, God bless you, and let me, I'll just pray. Father, we just want to give you thanks, Lord, for your word, dear Father. It's, um, it's the word that comes from your heart to the world. It's your heart to the world. And your heart is that you love the world, that you've done everything possible to 
reconcile man to yourself. And now it is our job to tell people that God loves them and that they have to receive Christ to be reconciled to him. They have to receive the free gift of God so they might be reconciled to him. So we ask, Father, for your grace, Lord, to be upon us. Lord, as we go out into this week, Father, we ask for um, uh, divine coincidences. <laughs> we ask for meetings with people, Lord God, that you have already chosen to hear the gospel. Lord, we ask for times of, um, of uh, just speaking to people, Lord, about who you are, Lord, because your heart is towards them and you love them. Thank you for this time together, Father. We just bless you in Jesus' name.